Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash legaleagleradio to sign up now. Race ipsiloquitur, abracadabra, caveat emptor, avarda cadavra. Why do lawyers use such funny words? It actually has nothing to do with lawyers inventing highfalutin legal words in order to sound smart. We're that already. And as a graduate of both law school and Hogwarts, I can tell you that lawyers don't have magic words. But over time, all professions build up a special vocabulary to help describe things in very specific language. And usually, it's not magic. But sometimes it is sort of magic. And when Mark Jaffe posted on Twitter, what genuine law term sounds fake? You have to convince people you didn't make it up. I knew I had to share some of the most ridiculous legal terms out there. And if I have to deal with these legal terms every day, I'm taking you legal eagles with me. All right, so the first ridiculous legal term that we have to deal with is pendente lite. Now you might think this is a Mexican locale beer. Pendente lite taste the lawyer. Or maybe it's a fancy pendant light. Or perhaps it is the lowest weight class in boxing, pendente lite, one step below the 108 pound flyweight. But what it actually is has nothing to do with YouTubers turning into boxers. Pendente lite is a Latin term meaning awaiting the litigation or pending the litigation. You often see this during divorce and custody litigation. A court can issue a temporary order of support, pendente lite, to maintain the financial status quo of all parties of the divorce while it's pending. And court orders are often used to provide relief until the final judgment is rendered. And the adverbial form of this, it would be a list pendants, but that's also its own special legal document, usually regarding real estate. Ugh, God, this is already getting incredibly complicated. But on to the second ridiculous term, which is Champerty. Now, you might think that Champerty is a character from the TV show Bridgerton. Announcing Lady Champerty of the North Hampstead Sherford upon Tim's Champerties. Might be a fraternity drinking game. It might be something people on HGTV's House Hunters would complain about not having in their home, like the Champerty water fountain for their dogs. But what it actually is is when a third party funds litigation. Now, historically, this was known as maintenance and Champerty. Back in the Middle Ages, nobles started funding frivolous lawsuits to buttress the claims and take a share of any profits for themselves. And Black's Law Dictionary defines this as a champertus agreement, as a, quote, bargain between a stranger and a party to a lawsuit by which the stranger pursues the party's claims in consideration for receiving part of any judgment of the proceeds. And perhaps the most interesting thing is that these days, these kind of agreements are generally not illegal. There's a whole world of litigation finance out there that in the olden days would have been considered champerty and illegal. For example, now a hedge fund could invest in litigation that the plaintiffs couldn't afford to fund on their own. It actually allows more people to access the justice system than otherwise would be able to do because of the funds that they or their lawyers do or don't possess. But on the other hand, the funding party could be a billionaire who has a grudge against someone else, as we saw with the Peter Thiel lawsuits through Hulk Hogan against Gawker. So it's you know, a double-edged sword. But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, which is mutatis mutandis, which could be the high valerian for all lawyers must die. It could be an outtake from the Lion King giving Timon and Pumbaa a follow-up to Hakuna Matata. What a- 
whole phrase. Or it could be the title given to the most important praying mantis in the world. Well, actually it's a Latin phrase that means with things changed that should be changed or having changed what needs to be changed. It pops up a lot in legal circles when lawyers are drafting contracts. The simplest explanation is for use in the law and that uh, the necessary changes in detail such as names and places will be made, but everything else will remain the same. That explanation comes from the famous Judge Scheinlin. No, not that Judge Scheinlin, Judge Shira Scheinlin, who is well known to all lawyers for her groundbreaking decisions in electronic discovery, which still form the backbone of federal rules that govern electronic information in litigation. Which takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, the suggestion of death. Now, is the suggestion of death a proper way of insulting opposing counsel? I move to strike opposing counsel upon suggestion of death. Is it a spell or event from Dungeons and Dragons? Is it what happens in the Oregon Trail when you unsuccessfully try to ford a river? Or is it a Charles Bronson movie, suggestion of death from the producers of Death Wish? and chasing Amy. Well, actually, according to Henry Campbell Black, the man who literally wrote the book on legal terms, he explains that a suggestion of death is a quote, statement formally entered on the record of some fact or circumstance which will materially affect further proceedings in the cause. I know it looks weird since a person's death is usually not a suggestion, it's a fact, but a suggestion of death functions as a legal announcement of death and FYI to inform the court and opposing parties that a key person has died. A case doesn't necessarily go away just because someone dies, although that can happen. But this is just a lawyer's way of letting everyone know that something kind of major has happened in the case. Which takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, an attractive nuisance. Is an attractive nuisance the person you run into a bar at last call? You feeling what I'm feeling? If it's resignation, then yes. <laughs> Is it the song that you can't get out of your head? Is it free cake in the office break room when you're on a diet? Is it when your pets or children are annoying you while you're trying to work from home, especially when you're on a Zoom call? Uh, um, pardon me. Well, actually an attractive nuisance is something that's on your property that is attractive and exciting to children. Property owners have a special duty of care to children and teens because they can't fully understand the dangers posed by certain situations. This means that if you have a bucket of candy or a PS5 sitting on a float in your swimming pool, you might expect the children are going to trespass onto your property. And while often you're not obligated to protect trespassers, sometimes you have to look out for those stupid attractive nuisance children. Children. In other words, you're obligated to mitigate the danger by taking steps to prevent them from accessing the property. Put up a fence, cover the pool, and keep your video games downstairs in your mom's basement. Which takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, a heart balm tort. Now, a heart balm tort could be an assignment on the Great British Baking Show, probably something really dumb like a whole peach wrapped in a thousand layers of pastry and then baked for some ridiculous amount of time, like 12 hours, could be, Blink. Love the flavor. It's a charming cake. Little bit of a mess. Thank you so much. It could be a magic spell. I command a level five heart bomb tort against you. Or it could be a Hallmark movie about a down and out heart surgeon, Michael Balm, who leaves his big city practice to start up a bakery and falls in love with a woman who can't stop eating his mini pies. But actually a heart bomb tort is a specific kind of civil suit, often referred to as a tort, that is brought against someone who has interfered in a relationship or made a promise that they didn't keep. This lets people sue their spouse's paramour or bring charges against men who promise to marry someone 
someone, but then backed out. These suits flourished in the early 20th century when newspapers featured lurid tales of gold digging harlots who broke up marriages and then preyed on widowers. Eventually there were so many heart bomb tort cases that they were actually abolished in more than 40 states. But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, a frolic and detour. Now is a frolic and detour a pair of animated mischievous kittens as in Tom and Jerry, Itchy and Scratchy? Is it the new Michael Chabon novel? Or is it the newest Kardashian baby name, frolic and detour, along with rumor scout, Apple, Northwest and Elon Musk's formula? Well, actually it's a term that covers the little side trip that an employee takes when they're supposed to be on duty. And of course, when accidents happen, who's responsible when an employee does something that's on their own, but on company time? Well, generally employers are liable for any damages caused by their employees. But if someone is acting way outside the scope of their job, the employer might be able to show that the employee should be held legally responsible. A frolic is when an employee totally departs from his or her duties. Let's say your boss sends you to Office Max for supplies, but on the way there, you stop off at a casino to play some slot machines for an hour. And on the way back, you get into a traffic accident. The trip to the casino is completely unrelated to your job duties. So the employer won't be legally responsible. On the other hand, a mere detour is just more of a minor deviation that probably doesn't absolve your employer of liability. For example, if you go to Office Max in our example, and then stop at Starbucks on your way back and then get into a traffic accident. In this instance, you've probably only made a slight deviation from your job duties. So the accident may be within the scope of your job and your employer might have to pay for the damages. But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, quiet enjoyment. Now is quiet enjoyment the nap time at a Montessori school after you have already played a game of heads up seven up? Is it something your parents desperately want, especially during COVID or is it a cover band for quiet riot? Well, actually quiet enjoyment comes up in the real estate context. It's usually a covenant of quiet enjoyment and is one of the promises that a property owner or tenant gets as part of his or her right to possess and use the property. This means that the person has the right to enjoy the property without interference. This covers things like a landlord repeatedly harassing a tenant or vermin inside the walls making noises at all hours of the day and night. If you are renting property, you have the right to quiet enjoyment. And that might mean you're able to listen to Quiet Riot. But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term. This one is one of my favorites, a fertile octogenarian. Now is a fertile octogenarian, Mick Jagger, Larry King, a rejected Pokemon, or the title of TLC's newest hit reality show, I'm marrying a fertile octogenarian. Well, a fertile octogenarian may actually refer to all of those things, but in a legal context, it means something very specific. This usually involves property law and is the source of many headaches for law students. Because a fertile octogenarian is a fictitious character that we make up in property law to demonstrate the concept against the rule against perpetuities. And while it often takes a long time to wrap your head around it, it's actually kind of a simple concept that is meant to make sure that there is certainty about who gets what. If you're going to give property to a certain category of people, you have to know that all of those people are certain within 21 years of the death of the person who is living. So for example, if you said, I give all of my property to Aunt Bertha, who is 100 years old and all of Aunt Bertha's children. Well, the thing is, even though Aunt Bertha is 100 years old, the law presumes that she could have more children. So that bequest doesn't work because it violates the rule against perpetuities, because we assume that even if you're an octogenarian, the law thinks that you still could be fertile. Look, I don't know, the law is weird. 
what do you want from me? But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, an unborn widow. Now, is an unborn widow an Amish romance novel? Is it a sad Bon Iver song, which uh, is there any other kind? Or is it a Christian horror movie about a ghost that was never born because the couple used contraceptives instead? Well, actually an unborn widow is actually related to the last fertile octogenarian. Yes, property law is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, let's say you had a complicated will and you wanted to leave a house to, let's say, Gary, for his life, and then to Gary's widow for her life, and then to Gary's children after they pass away. Now, the property can't be given to Gary's widow until Gary is dead, which is totally fine from a legal perspective. But property law asks us to assume the most ridiculous far out thing imaginable. Like what happens if Gary marries a woman who isn't even born at the time that you made the gift to Gary? What if Gary is actually Mick Jagger and you left him a house back in 1980, but Mick Jagger later marries a woman born in 1999. But here's the problem. He could die and then his new bride could outlive him for way longer than 21 years. And the rule against perpetuity says that the interest must vest within 21 years. So that transfer would be invalid from the outset because of the possibility of the unborn widow. But frankly, I think my movie idea is a way better one anyway. But that takes us to the next ridiculous legal term, a precocious toddler. Now, is a precocious toddler a hit podcast for moms who know that their toddlers are gifted? Is it the name of Gwyneth Paltrow's baby store? Is it a never made Adam Sandler movie starring Kevin James as Adam Sandler's son. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? I'm just full of great movie ideas. But in reality, a precocious toddler goes back to property law once more and our favorite rule against perpetuities. Because we've already talked about how the law requires you to believe completely insane things like an octogenarian being fertile or the ability for anyone to marry someone who isn't even born yet. And if you have to assume those things, you better believe the law requires you to think that everyone is fertile at birth. I went to law school for this. Frankly, this is all just jiggery pokery, which is our next ridiculous legal word. Now, is jiggery pokery a phrase that will get you fired from work because it's racist? Is it an old timey card game that is racist? Is it a very outdated Disney park ride that seems just a little bit racist? Or is it a beloved vintage children's book that might be racist? Well, actually children, this racist sounding phrase isn't racist at all. It's just some bizarre slang from England that Justice Antonin Scalia picked up. But it's a bit of a punt because it literally means legal nonsense. The earliest known use of this phrase was actually in 1845 by the Berkshire Chronicle in Reading, England. The article was called Protection to Agriculture and it commented that under the present law, the averages were made up so faithfully and fairly as to prevent any jiggery poker. And Justice Scalia deployed the phrase jiggery-pokery to attack Chief Justice Roberts for the court's six to three decision that it was legal for the IRS to extend tax credits for the Affordable Care Act to federal exchanges as well as those created by the states. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite education ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash legal eagle radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.